our scripture for today is 1 Samuel 25, verse 1 through 17. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the, into the desert of Maon, a certain mine in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a, a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was sharing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was sharing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that it to all that is yours. Now I hear it that it is sheep sharing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servant, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answers David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's turn David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, put on, your, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men, these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us. All the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it, think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a weak man, and no one can talk to him. Amen. <clears throat> there was a couple riding along in the car, and they were arguing. And they were so angry at each other, they were so fed up with each other over absolutely everything. They couldn't do anything right, neither one of them. Each one was being stubborn, sitting there stewing in their own corner of the car. Shouting one moment, silent and sullen the next, just glaring at one another. Each one was trying to comprehend what possessed me to get connected to this person. The one sitting so close to me in the car. And they rode along like that for miles, 
from the city into the country. They passed a mule, a stubborn, lonely mule, eating in the meadow all by itself. And as they pulled up to a stop sign, the husband glared over at his wife, looked over at the mule, and said, Is that your relative? She looked out the window at the mule, and she pondered the sight of it, and she looked back at him, and she said, Yes, by marriage. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in heated discussions, and those heated discussions lead to heated arguments that go on and on to the point that we don't even remember what started the argument. You see, we need peacemakers. And as followers of Christ, we're called to be peacemakers. Last week, we started a new sermon series called What a Character, in the hopes that we could study the lesser-known characters of the Bible, because these characters aren't mentioned in the Bible just to take up space. Their stories have lessons for us, too. And our character in today's text was a peacemaker. Here's the setting. The prophet Samuel has died, but before he died, he anointed David to be the next king of Israel. But right now, Saul is still the king, and he's extremely jealous of David. So Saul has isolated David and his 600 men into the wilderness. David and his men are on the run. They're moving from hideout to hideout, and they find themselves in the wilderness. And while they're camped out there, they keep an eye on the farmers. They keep an eye on the shepherds and their flocks. In fact, one of the messengers states that David and his men were like a wall of protection around us and the sheep. And it was sheep-sharing time. Traditionally, during this time, it was customary for the farmers to share their food. And they would share their profits with those that needed it more than they did. And so David and his men come. They are hungry. So David sends ten of his men to Nabal, a local rich man, with a large flock. And he says, help us, please, share with us. The messengers start with peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. And then they remind Nabal of their work. And then they finally get to the request, would you be kind to us? Since we have come at a time of celebration, remember, the point of this celebration is to share with those in need. David and his men, they are in need. Please share with us anything that you might have on hand. But before we get to Nabal's response, let's look at how he's described. Nabal was a descendant of Caleb. Nabal was crude. Nabal was mean in all his dealings. His own servants called him ill-tempered. His name means fool. Now, it's hard to understand that he was really a descendant of Caleb. But remember, Caleb was one of Moses' spies that was sent into the promised land to spy it out. And he was the one that was saying, 
with courage. God has given us the land. It looks hard, but we can take it, for God has given it to us already. Now, Caleb was from the line, the line of Judah, as is David, making Nabal a distant cousin with David. So much for blood is thicker than water. There's not a lot of love between these two. Now let's look at Nabal's harsh response. Who is this fellow, David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws? Now Nabal knows very well who David is. The future king has been pronounced throughout the kingdom. Everyone knows who David is. So Nabal's response is from a place of pride. It's from a place of arrogance by suggesting that David is not better than just a runaway slave. He's not worth my time. He's not worth my prosperity. He's being downright foolish. Remember, this is the future king. So the messengers deliver Nabal's message back to David, who is not too pleased with what's been said. Get your swords, says David. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. Remember, David is tired from running. He's hungry, him and his men, they're hungry. Do you ever hear the term hangry? Do you ever hear that term? That's the anger you get when you're hungry. Or have, have you seen those Snickers commercials where they show a scene and there's, there's a bunch of people, and then one of them is acting really out of sorts, out of character, and their friends come up and they say, I think, I think you need this Snickers bar. And the character says, what are you talking about? You're not being yourself. And so the person opens the Snicker bar, takes a bite, and suddenly he's transformed into his, his actual natural self. And the tagline comes up and says, you're not you when you're hungry. And that's all I could think of when, when the verses keep saying, David is hungry. He's tired. But get your swords, men. We're going to go kill them. But you know, God didn't need to use a Snickers bar to transform David. He had Abigail at his, as his vessel. You see, anger can cause us to be blinded to our right action. Anger can cause us to do stupid things. Anger can cause us to say stupid things. How many of you can say that you've never once regretted letting some words come out of your mouth? Ever. Well, David, in his anger, he's called his men to pick up their swords. They're going to take revenge. Scripture tells us otherwise. Romans 12, 19 tells us, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. 
For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. David has let his anger take over. He can't see the right thing to do anymore. In his anger, he's focused just on getting revenge. But fortunately, God already had a plan in place. One of Nabal's servants runs to Nabal's wife, Abigail, to tell her what has just happened. David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night they were a wall of protection for us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there is going to be trouble for your master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered, no one can talk to him. We can see the difference here between Nabal and Abigail. She was referred to in verse 2 as sensible and beautiful. Clearly, the servants saw her as sensible too. That's why they go to her for help. They weren't going to get it from Nabal, and they knew it. And the text continues in verse 18. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, Go on ahead. I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. She wasted no time. She jumps right into action. That's discernment. This is someone who walks closely with God and knows when he says, go, you go. And that's what she does. But I don't want to brush past her circumstances too quickly here because we like to use our circumstances as an excuse for our behavior. Oh, Pastor, you don't know how they treated me. Pastor, you don't know what they said about me. Pastor, you don't know what that person did to me. I know the phrases. I've used them myself. Try to excuse my thoughts of revenge. Even though I never do anything, the thoughts are there. How do I get back at them? They hurt me. How do I get back? You know, scripture doesn't tell us much about the marriage between Nabal and Abigail. We can assume, like most marriages of that time, that this one, too, was an arranged marriage. And we know Nabal's character. He was greedy, he was self-willed, and he was angry. We can only imagine what it must have been like being married to such a spouse. Abigail, she, she was a princess married to a toad. Honestly, you would think that she might enjoy the thought of being free of this man. If David had gotten his way, she could have packed her bags and made a new life for herself, been free. And we can think, oh, that's a terrible thought. How can you think that? But we've had similar thoughts, maybe so, not so extreme. 
oh, look at that. God really does work in mysterious ways, doesn't he? They finally got what was coming to them. Have you ever thought that? That's a natural human response. That's a flesh part of us. But Abigail was different. We should be different. She was focused on God. She had God-centered discernment. She was not thinking only of her interest. She was thinking of the interest of all the people that were going to be affected. What we see in Abigail is godly faith. She displays discernment. She displays courage, tact, and humility. The godly characteristics of a peacemaker. So she gets on her donkey, she loads up her supplies and food, and she travels into the mountains. And she sees David and his his men coming to her. But listen to what it says David is doing. He's still mumbling and grumbling over the whole incident. Verses 21 and 22. David had just been saying, A lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness. Nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. Now, we may disagree with David's solution. Actually, I hope we disagree with David's solution. But I think we can relate to how he's feeling. His pride was hurt. His motives were challenged. And he reacts as any of us might, with anger, with frustration. He basically has added gasoline to an already burning fire. Have you ever done that? Okay, I have. I'll admit it. A couple months ago, Jay and I, we have cats in our house. Jay is allergic to cats. Yes, I know. It's a long story. Don't ask. And, and one particular day, the bedroom door had gotten left open, and the cats had gotten into our room. And what I hear from upstairs is, the door was open, the cats came in. What are you doing? You're not supposed to let the cats in the room. And I could have diffused the situation. I could have come in quite humble and said, you're right, dear. You're right. I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't do that. My pride kicked in. My flesh kicked in. And you know what I said? You know what, dear? You know what I did? When you're not home, I take both cats, and I go upstairs, I throw them in the bedroom, and I close the door. That's what I do when you're not here. And all I did was add an explosion to an already burning fire. That was the stupidest thing to say. Oh, but it made me feel good. I felt real good when I said it. But it was a terrible thing to say. And then we went back and forth and back and forth until God smacked us both and said, seriously, the two of you children, get over yourselves. 
And we came back together and said, I'm sorry, that was stupid. I'm sorry. Had I just been a peacemaker, had I diffused the situation, that's what I should have done. But that's what Abigail does. She diffuses the situation that's raging before her. She gets off the donkey and she bows down at David's feet. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey. She bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Abigail is not excusing Nabal's actions. She states that he's a fool, and not only a fool, but a wicked and ill-tempered man. She's seeking for peace because she's a peacemaker. Her close walk with God brought her discernment. It gave her the courage to speak with a holy boldness into David's situation. And she enters the situation with respect, with kindness. She speaks into it with wisdom and grace. And she speaks into the situation building David up. That's what peacemakers do. See, Abigail reminds David that God is doing a great thing in his life. You're the future king, she tells him. Don't let this fool Nabal become a stain on your good name before the Lord. Don't destroy God's plans for your life for one moment of satisfaction. You see, words of encouragement don't come naturally to us, though. We usually speak for ourselves. We speak about ourselves. Talking about ourselves is not a bad thing unless it becomes a boasting conversation, one that's totally absorbed into us as the star rather than God. Ephesians 4.29 tells us, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Peacemakers speak only what is helpful to build others up, according to the needs of the one listening, so that they can benefit. It doesn't mean that we don't speak truth. It just means that we speak the truth, but only in love. If we studied scripture and all the verses that use the word like mouth and lips and words and tongues, we'll come to one conclusion. We speak to edify. We speak to bless. 
We, spe- we speak to build up and we speak to encourage others. In other words, if your words cannot bless or benefit someone, then don't say it. Think before you speak. In most classrooms today, you'll see this sign that says, Think before you speak, with an acronym for the letters for think. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Think before you let those words pass across your lips. Abigail's words to David, they changed history. A massacre was avoided with lives saved. Proverbs 15.1 tells us that a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Abigail's words and quick action diffused a situation. In Abigail's action, we see wisdom, we see diligence, we see sensibility, we see patience. Abigail saw the big picture, the godly picture, and she helped David to see the same. David was saved from committing a foolish act because Someone was a peacemaker. Listen to David's reply to Abigail. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. David was moved by Abigail's wisdom. He was moved by her kindness. He recognizes that it was God who sent her to put him back on the right track. David, the man referred to as being after God's own heart, he's open to listening to God in the counsel that God sent. The message for us there is that no matter how right we think we are, we need to stop and listen to God. Listen to what he is telling us. Nabal was a fool. In fact, he was so clueless about the impending danger before him that when Abigail goes back home after her encounter with David, Nabal's throwing a party. He's high in spirits and very drunk. And then when Abigail tells him what took place the next day, Scripture says his heart became like stone. Ten days later, the Lord struck him dead. Now, we don't usually have to look very far around us to find a fool. All too frequently, there's a fool hiding inside of us, waiting for a peacemaker to shine a light on our foolishness. We must not think so highly of ourselves that we cannot take counsel from others. David was beloved by God. No matter how much he fell short, even when his anger almost led to war, God still loved him. God loves us enough to correct us, 
and to keep calling us to accountability by sending peacemakers into our lives. And, you know, peacemakers will come in all, all different shapes and sizes. Now, before I share this next story with you, okay, I really, I share my stupid moments, okay? I share them with you so you don't repeat them, okay? You say, oh, my pastor shared, oh, that was a stupid thing to do. I better not do it. She told me what happened when she did it. So learn from my stupid stuff. Learn from my stupid moments and don't repeat them, okay? Now, yesterday, as I was finishing up the message, of course, Jay and I, we were doing some gardening because I like gardening. And something happened where he did something, and, and I didn't know about it, and then I found out about it, and I got a little agitated. He killed some of the tomato plants, and then, you know, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Actually, it doesn't matter. So, but then we went back and forth, and we went back and forth. Until then, it was silence. You know, that place where you just... So that's where we were. And then I suddenly remembered, oh, I have to get the bread for today's sandwich making in children's ministry. So I got my stuff together, and I said, to, I said I'm going to Publix. I have to get the bread for tomorrow. And he's, he just said, oh, okay. So I am from the drive to my house to Publix. It's maybe seven minutes. But I'm grumbling like David. I cannot, Lord, I can't, what was he thinking? I cannot believe. What am I, what do you want me to do, Lord? What am I supposed, what am I missing here? I pull into a parking space. I walk in. I walk into the very front part of Publix, just where the carriages are. And over the radio, blaring over the radio in Publix is the ringtone that I use for my husband. That was my peacemaker. God stopped me in my tracks, and I just burst out laughing. And I said, Lord, you're so right. I'm such an idiot. <laughs> How could I be so stupid? I, I, I had to check my phone to make sure he wasn't actually calling me. But it was over the airwaves in Publix, the ringtone for my husband. So I get, this, I get the bread. I'm going in line to check out, and I check my phone. And there's a text from him, and it says, I'm going to church. Okay, and I texted back, why, and he, he didn't answer, so I was like, well, all right, I, I'll come to church and meet him here. I get to the church, and he's still sitting in his car in the parking lot. So I go, and I'm, I'm excited now because God had just hit me over the head, so I was feeling really good. And I go to get in his car. I said, what happened? He goes, that's a funny story. He says, well, I forgot the keys for the church. So I was debating whether to go back or whether it was worth going home and coming back. And I said, oh, I said, I thought you were coming to pray. He goes, well, that was part of the plan. And I, so I shared with him the story of me going into Publix. And he said, yeah, you know what car, you know, when I got in the car, you know what song was playing? God gave me you. <laughs> Those were our peacemakers. You see, sometimes God will deliver a message and whatever he has available, those were the two peacemakers that just smacked us upside the head and said, both of you, stop being so stupid. When are you going to learn? And, I mean, honestly, 
I, and I'll probably share in another two weeks about another argument we had, but that's, <laughs> but that's humanity, okay? We're all in the process of learning. We're all on a journey. You know, God sends us people for a purpose. He sends peacemakers for a purpose in our life because they can see clearer than we can in our anger. He sends us people to help us grow into all that God has called us to be. Even when we fall short like David did. And we let our anger get the best of us. God sends in a peacemaker. With a holy boldness. With a servant's heart. To steer us away from our bitterness. And our desire for revenge. The name Abigail means my father's joy. When we become peacemakers, when we turn others away from their anger and their desire for revenge, the joy of our heavenly father shines upon us. Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The lesson that Abigail's story has for us in this call to be a peacemaker, following Jesus, we're called to bring peace. Not to add fuel to the fire. We're called to bring peace. In your group of friends, in your family, in your home, in your neighborhood, who is it in your life that is angry? determined to seek revenge, bent on fueling the flames of war. God has called us to be servants. He's called us to load up a donkey with good things, to speak to the hearts of those that are bent on revenge and anger. We're called to speak up, to build up, to remind people of whom God has called them to be. If we have the power of Christ in us, let us use that power for peace. There are going to be times when we're the ones acting foolish. And we need to pay attention to the peacemaker that God sends us. Then there are times when we're being sent as the peacemaker. We can only discern God's work in both those situations when we're in a close relationship with him. The amount of humility needed to listen and to act in those situations, it doesn't come naturally to us. That kind of humility only comes from Jesus' power living in us. And that power only comes when we have a right relationship with him. If we want to love in ways that matter here at Sawgrass, We must begin to maul in our lives the qualities of discernment, the qualities of a peacemaker. And that can only happen when we're connected with God, when we walk with him daily, closely. It's not easy. I'm not up here to tell you that it is. I just gave you two of my own experiences, of my own stupid, foolish behavior. Some of you have even experienced being a peacemaker, and it wasn't received well. 
And that's okay, because God's word tells us if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. We can't control the reactions of others. We can't control the actions of others. We can only take responsibility for our own behavior. And if we are trying to be a peacemaker, that is what God asks of us. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Abigail. Father, help us to use the power in us for peace. Help us to walk with discernment, to see where peace is needed. Help us to recognize your work, your call. Help us to use our words to build others up, to build bridges. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen.